Hey, it's The Almanac, the podcast from your pals at Event Farm. Today, Event Farm CRO Chad Blaze talks to Nicole Summit, US CMO at Microsoft. Welcome to Marketing Leaders Podcast by Event Farm. Um, I'm very pleased to uh, welcome Nicole Summit, the Director of US Events and Digital from Microsoft Corporation. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Chad. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Excited to have you. And, and uh, it was a fun ride getting here and we'll yeah, have to right. talk about that offline. Um, so be, just to jump right in, um, we typically lead off with uh, your origin story. And so for me not to take your thunder about all that you do both at Microsoft and how you got there, I'll let you lead off with uh, how you got here and uh, some of the details behind that. Take it away. Yeah, right. Thank you. Um, so I am based in Michigan. And uh, I went to Wayne State University where I got my degree in uh, business specializing in, in marketing. And when I first got out of college, I, because I'm based in, in Michigan, I obviously went over into automotive. And so I started off in the advertising agency world. And I highly recommend that um, for young professionals because I believe that it gives you um, some good background on all of the different opportunities that are available to you, whether you want to specialize in copywriting or creative or account planning. Um, to me, I think it's a great place to work and it's very um, high energy and timely. So things are happening very quickly. Great place to work. Um, so I started off first doing media planning and jumped around to a few different agencies, worked, as I said, for um, some automotive companies, so Lincoln Mercury Dealer Association, for Mazda Dealer Association. Um, and then I um, stumbled into some different uh, career paths, one of which was, uh, two of which I'll note. One was I worked for a, an auto auction company where I started up a technology department within the auto auction company in addition to marketing responsibilities. Um, so it really gave me a sense of, you know, now being at Microsoft, understanding more of product marketing and technology and how to sell technology. Um, and then I worked for a nonprofit called NPower, and NPower was uh, heavily funded by Microsoft. And that was where I got my introduction um, into Microsoft, and it was through networking. So at NPower, I worked as a membership and event coordinator, and then uh, community relations manager, and I would have relationships with those that were on the board. And one of the women on the board who worked for Microsoft uh, befriended me, and she was the one that actually reached out to me when there was a local opportunity in the Michigan market for, at the time, it was called a relationship marketing manager. And funny enough, I actually turned it down first um, because I had just started a new job, and I was liking it and wanted to give it a chance. And then about a year later, she reached back out to me and it was a great point for me to um, thoughtfully consider the opportunity. And so I did an informational and then I ended up going through the interview process um, and I accepted my first role at Microsoft and that was September 11th, 2006. That was when I started at Microsoft. Wow, and so what about your progression since then inside of Microsoft? Yeah. So. I have been at Microsoft for just over 12 years, um, and because I've always stayed in Michigan, I've had to be very thoughtful um, about my career. Microsoft is based in Redmond, and so obviously there's more opportunity the closer that you are to, um, to headquarters. 
So I've had three jobs at Microsoft in 12 years, which is um, somewhat uh, different from other people's career path. As Microsoft, you tend to jump around in roles fairly quickly. So I first started off as a relationship marketing manager, and that's where I supported the local sales team in developing marketing programs to help them better connect with their commercial customers. Um, I also had other responsibilities at that time where I was responsible for the grants that Microsoft gave away for the district that I was responsible for, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. And so my, um, what differentiated me in that role is that I started to marry the two together. So I was leading the citizenship cabinet of local interested parties and communities and, and citizenship. And so I said, let's identify the customers um, where we are trying to build relationships, our biggest accounts, and let's identify what they are working on from a citizenship perspective. And let's see if there's some, some partnership that can happen there. And that is what really differentiated me in my role amongst my peers, is that I was trying to be very thoughtful around the resources that Microsoft had to offer and to build relationships with the um, executives within our top accounts. Um, so my work was noticed and I was actually asked to join a national team where I was then responsible for, I was a community lead for my old role for the U.S. And then I also became the community lead for a new role that we started, which was called key account marketing, which a lot of people refer to as account-based marketing. So we kicked off uh, account-based marketing and I managed the U.S. community for both of those two roles. Mm -hmm. I did that for... I did my first role for about three and a half years. I did my second role for about four-ish years. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to go into management. And so I did two interviews when I was in that organization um, for different management roles. And I didn't get either one of them. Um, and a lot of it had to do with location of where I was based. But I kept at it. And actually in my second when I was going the second time around for a management role, there was somebody that interviewed me that was leading up a different organiz marketing organization at Microsoft, CMO, the Central Marketing Organization. And when he and I had a conversation, he said, you have an awesome background for my team. And if you don't get this role, I want you to let me know and I want to talk to you about a job on my team. And so I didn't get that role. I reached out to him right away. Uh, he and I, over a couple of months, had a few conversations, and he really crafted a role for me, which allowed me to leverage my experience um, and also do what I wanted to do next, which was to be a, a manager and to lead people. And so I was the group marketing manager um, in the central marketing organization, where I focused primarily on events and immersions. Um, and I've now been in the group for five years, five plus years. Mm -hmm. um, and my role has expanded. So now I have managers underneath me. Um, and I have just grown my responsibility in regards to event management for all of us and um, digital. So I've added digital to my plate, uh, just within the last six months or so. Fantastic. I mean, there's so many nuggets. And so I'll, I'll pick it a few. And so there's a number of listeners that often ask for that recipe, that blueprint, how do I go from A to B to C to D? And a lot of the things that you just talked about were much more organic and it's hard to explain that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, acquisition of skills, how you kind of 
took on additional responsibilities, how you melded some of your roles together. You know, is there anything that you can share with some of the listeners around, you know, kind of the mentality or your approach that allowed you to navigate both the jobs as well as being firm in, I want to stay in Michigan and, and, and how did I continue to make that happen through some of my tenacity? Yeah. So um, a few things I would say, and hopefully you heard this even at the beginning of my origin story, which is building relationships and networking is key. Um, a lot of times with jobs, people are identified before a job is even posted. And so making sure that you're constantly building your network and you are specific and deliberate with your network about what you're interested in is extremely helpful because they will think of you and they will either tap you um, for those opportunities or it's somebody that you can reach out to on a regular basis and you can see where the stars align. Um, I, the person that brought me to Microsoft also gave me some great wisdom around kind of owning my career and what things were negotiable and non-negotiable. And I, there was a period of time, about a year, in which I was really being pressed to move to Redmond for you know, continued advanced opportunities, opportunities at Microsoft. And when I had a conversation with her, it was causing some turmoil personally for me and my family and the conversation that I was having with my husband about this, you know, chance to move across the country with all of our families based in Michigan. And she said, you know, own what you know are non-negotiables. And so from that moment on, I now am very upfront and honest with people that say, here's my non-negotiables. And one of those is I'm going to be based in Michigan. Um, I'm not going to move. However, I have proven myself. So I've built up my credibility that I am somebody that can be based, you know, outside of Redmond and yet still have great relationships. There's a lot of people actually that think I am based in Redmond because of how much they see me and how visible my projects are. Um, and so it's not a, uh, if you, if you really are, um, specific around what your non-negotiables are for yourself, if you vocalize those with other people, you create advocates within your network about what you're interested in. And then you, you yourself need to do the work and to build the credibility um, of what you're good at, then, you know, good things will come your way. I, I love it. And that's a great segue into maybe the next set of questions I'd love to ask you. Um, our listeners always wondering about, you know, how do you manage and construct and propagate your personal brand? And then also in your role, especially for a large company like Microsoft, how do you, you know, innovate and influence the brand and the market that you're trying to perpetuate through Microsoft. So maybe start with a personal brand and then maybe segue into some of the things you're doing for the Microsoft larger brand, if you could. So Microsoft has been going through what I would say is an evolution and a transformation. And I would say that really started to happen um, when our new CEO, our current CEO, Satya Nadella, had taken the reins. And so he talks a lot about culture. And we've really gone through a lot of change in our culture at Microsoft. And we, we talk a lot about um, having a growth mindset. And that is all about being positive around what can happen. And um, there's actually some exercises that you can do in the different areas of having a growth mindset, whether it's grit or whether it's optimism or whether it's um, health, which has to do with getting enough sleep and eating right and all of that good stuff. Um, but as part of that experience, we have been 
um, personally working on our own philosophies. And that's what I consider to be my brand. And so my personal philosophy is making change happen through transparency, empathy, and tenacity. And so what that means is if I break down kind of that sentence, that explains how I work, the things that are important to me, and what others can expect of me. And so I think the idea of being thoughtful about writing out what your personal philosophy is, and then when somebody asks you what your brand is or what your philosophy is, then you should be able to recite it back to them um, by memory, and it will give them some really good insights right off the bat about the kind of person that you are. I love it. And for, for folks that may not have kind of the same framework in place that maybe a large company provides, um, I, I love just kind of the, the simple approach as well as some of the, the frameworks out there that are easily consumable by others to use. So I love your brand. So how do you take that personal brand and kind of shove it into having an influence on a large company um, and a large organization that, that the marketing department is inside of Microsoft? Yeah, so the way that I look at it is in two ways. So my job is I am a manager, I manage people, and I am a marketer at Microsoft. The management part of my job, it helps me explain to the people that work for me, or if I am recruiting people, uh, the per people that I want to work for me, what they can expect from me as a manager. And so my brand to them is that I'm, I am an autonomous, supportive manager. I like people to run their own programs for them to feel empowered, which is part of our mission, empower every individual and organization to achieve more. We emulate that. And so I want somebody to feel like they own their work and I will just help them clear whatever barriers are in their way to be the most successful person that they can be whether that is help brainstorming, whether that is help with a problem or an issue that they're trying to figure out a solve for to, to remove it as an obstacle. So that's kind of how I apply my brand to the manager side of my job. Mm -hmm. To the marketing side of my job, um, I'll apply kind of Microsoft's thinking in the way that we evaluate uh, professional uh, competencies. And that is we think about it in three different circles that overlap with each other. One is how am I impacting the business? The second one is how am I helping other people be successful? And the third one is how am I taking the great work that others are doing and making it better? And so when I think about what my role is at Microsoft um, leading events and digital, I have two responsibilities. I have a very specific portfolio of events that my team is responsible. They're large national events that are either Microsoft-led, um, in-person, webcasts, virtual events, um, or third-party sponsorships. And we do our best to constantly learn and draw insights from what we've done in, in past events and apply those moving forward and bringing the best experience that we can for our customers and really pushing them, challenging them to think differently about business and about how technology can help them do their business better. And the second way is that I am responsible for events all up in the U.S. And so there are 50 other people that execute events in the U.S. And so it's my responsibility to help them be compliant and consistent 
in the Microsoft brand and in how we show up. And so there are programs that I put in place to make it very easy for other people to execute events in the US. And the other thing that I do is I try to find ways for us to be innovative. And that can be things such as a new event registration platform that is widely adopted or a new event app in which we are trying to better engage with our customers and make the experience better for them. So I'm always trying to look for those uh, that consistency that pushes innovation. And then I'm also trying to make sure that me and my team execute on the portfolio that we are responsible for. I love it. I think there's a couple things in some of your comments that would be helpful for some of our listeners. One is there's a perception that I'm hearing pretty consistently through the feedback uh, of this podcast around small versus big and the ability to influence and have you know, empowerment and small as opposed to being sometimes the perception is isolated and narrow, narrowly managed, et cetera, and big. And, you know, with your experiences, I think there's a, a, a myriad of uh, small, medium, large kind of experiences that you have. And I wonder if you can share some insight for our listeners on, you know, how you both empower your teammates, but how you also feel empowered inside of a large organization, maybe in some of the same ways that you felt when you worked for a small organization. Uh, yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I think of Microsoft, while it is a, a large organization, we take every event individually. Um, and, and we also talk a lot about leadership at the company and our leadership principles. And the leadership principles aren't just people who manage, aren't just for those people that manage people, but it is really all of us have the opportunity to be a, a leader. And this can be for a large organization or it can be a small organization. And there are three factors or there are three things that we think about that emulate what it is to be a leader. It is creating clarity. Um, the second one is generating energy. And the third one is delivering success. So the way that I think is best about the first one, creating clarity, it is about how do you take a problem or an opportunity and how do you synthesize it to make it simple? Because I think the more that we can make things simple, the better it is for everybody. And that can be whether I, you know, approach um, a problem, an event, a program, a campaign, how do I, what are the basic components of it? How do I really break it down? Um, and make sure that the people that I am working with, the stakeholders, the people that I'm influencing, that I'm taking along with me or that I depend on in order to make that thing happen, do they understand what the objective is and do they know what their role is? So that's kind of the idea of the creating clarity. The second one is around generating energy. And that is how do you get people to come along the journey with you? And a lot of it has to do with impact and influence. And so it is how do I make sure that I am explaining my programs for not only my benefit, but for the benefit of the other people that I'm working with? Um, and a lot of that you know, kind of takes practice, but it's also about being a really good listener. So it is making sure that you are, when you're having conversations and you're building up the programs that you have, how do you make sure that you are hitting on the objectives of everybody that you're looking to bring along with you? Um, and obviously the third one is delivering success. And I think that this really boils down to making sure that you are specific around what your objectives are for doing an event or a campaign um, or a program. And so it is, what are the specific business impacts and outcomes that I'm going to deliver because of this activity that I'm doing. And even from the get-go, 
if you ask somebody, you know, we want to do X, Y, Z event. If you can sit back and you can say, okay, why do we want to do this event? What is it going to drive for us from a business impact? Whether it is, I'm going to get net new contacts with this event. I'm going to invite existing opportunities to this event and I want to drive velocity or I know these people and I think that this is a great new opportunity for them to drive their business. And so I want to drive net new opportunities or the fourth bucket that we put it in is around deployment and usage. Somebody has something of ours, but we really want to make sure that they use it. So I think when it comes to delivering success, you have to know what success looks like and get very prescriptive about what those objectives and the measurable KPIs that you're going to put against them in order to make sure that you understand if that campaign was successful or not successful. Yeah, that's a great segue. I mean, if you talk to event professionals out there, one of the things that is said a lot of, but people struggle to get their arms around because they haven't done some of the fundamentals you're talking about is measure ROI for that event, which segues really into the next set of questions I want to ask, which are around. So there's a lot of event professionals that listen to this podcast as well. And, and they're very curious, especially for someone like you who, you know, covers a broad swath of very large um, events as well as uh, a number of different types of events. You know, how are you leveraging events to be successful? And any tips or tricks or things that you want to share with the audience around, you know, how you found, found a way over your years of success, excuse me, um, in managing some of these broad types and use cases around events? Right. Um, so a few tips that I would say in regards to events um, is that one, think about events as a portion of your portfolio. If you think about marketing mix, um, there is a marketing mix around how we're going to engage our customers and events is one of those things, but it is not the only thing. And it's not the all, it's not always the only answer um, too. There are ways to engage people with communications, whether that be email, whether that be social. Um, there are online campaigns, which you want to point people to demo experiences, for instance, or trials. Um, and then obviously events is a way both online and in person. There's also a big difference between what is the expectation that I have of somebody giving me time and giving me location, if you will. It could be a lot easier for somebody to be in their home or at their office and be able to engage in a 45-minute webcast that's a different ask that I'm making of somebody versus a, you know, two-day event where I'm asking them to fly somewhere, take time out of their day, and actually spend those two days focused on whatever agenda that I have for them. So I think you really need to think through, you know, what is the mix that I have for my customer and what does that customer journey look like? Um, a couple other things that I would say is, uh, one is when you start off engaging with your customers, you are setting an expectation. And it's really hard to go back on that expectation. And what I mean by that is if you do an amazing white glove event that's very high end, um, let's say you do any kind of giveaways with it or anything like that, the next time that customer engages with you, they're going to expect that same high level of experience. And so you have to be very thoughtful around uh, being able to de deliver that same quality experience every time. So I think expectation is a big one. Um, I talked a little bit about the customer journey. And so depending on what your objective is in your customer journey, if it's very 
top of funnel, if you will, if you're just trying to have people uh, drive awareness of whatever product it is that you're selling, you're going to want to think of the activities that you can do that are um, scalable and will just drive that awareness. So a lot of the work that we do there is more of online events or um, social engagements or email communications. And then as you continue down through the funnel, each activity that you do, you want to think through the entire customer experience. What is the you know, demand gen that you're using to get them there? What does the experience look like? And then a lot of times I think we, we forget about what happens after the event. What am I telling them to do next? They're looking for me to give them a little bit of guidance on, okay, you got me interested in this you know, product. What is it that I should be doing next if I want to learn more? And so I think it's being very specific and planful early in the planning process about what is then the next thing that I'm going to point them to once that event or that experience is over. And then you want to continue them through that journey and capture whatever feedback that you can along the way. So we do things like the event app I was discussing, which is, you know, we want to have that two-way dialogue. How did you feel about the event? Did the event um, align to the objectives that you had for going? How were the speakers? How was the content? Um, we can do things like that in the event app. We can do things like that in the follow-up email. And then we want to make sure that we capture the information about our customer so that as we continue to market to them, we're being very relevant and specific to what they are telling us so that when we send them something else the next time, we already know, you know, four things about them. They're interested in a particular product. They're located in a particular city. Um, they've already done one or two things with us. And so the next communication we have with them should be very specific and deliberate about what they're going to do next, not something out of the blue, which makes them feel like we don't know anything about them. So I think that prolific profiling, um, where you're building up what your intelligence is about your customer and how do you use that intelligence to be really thoughtful about engaging them is very important nowadays, especially because people are getting bombarded by so many communications and so many opportunities. They want to be selective about, about what they do next. And so you want to make sure that you're being thoughtful um, with their time and with the, your recommendations to them as well. It makes complete sense. And with some of that discipline and rigor you have through that marketing play, um, and you talked about the funnel, uh, there, there's this at times love-hate relationship between marketing and sales. And I've, I've personally <laughs> posted medium posts around. I feel like those lines have blurred and that the most successful organizations have a lot of those lines very blurry. But you know, what's your take if you if you're talking customer journey and you've really done a great job of kind of navigating that specificity and the focus on maintaining expectations throughout that entire process. And then here comes that salesperson. Yeah. Like, what's that handoff? What are some of those things that you've worked hard on to ensure that that handoff from something that you control into something that you potentially don't control goes seamless so you don't lose that conversion as you hand it off to that last part of the phone? Yeah. So somebody once told me that there's a healthy friction between sales and marketing. Um, and I think some of that is true. Um, but I do think that it is important to build the relationships between sales and marketing so that there is credibility and there is trust on both sides. So marketing needs to make sure that when we are handing off leads, that we are handing off leads that we believe and we have vetted to be qualified and ready for a sales engagement. 
And so at Microsoft, we're actually doing more, um, with, marketing is doing more to push a lead further into the sales um, cycle before it's passed over to the sales team because we really want to make sure that it is a credible lead and it's ready for the seller to follow up on because it is frustrating on both sides, both the customer side and the sales side. If that customer isn't warm enough to be handed off to a salesperson, if they're still doing research and they're still learning about whatever product or service that you have to offer. So I think it's really important for marketing to work on um, handing over a sales lead when it is actual, actually a sales lead and they do all that they can kind of up to that point. And we obviously use some automated systems in order to make that happen. And we're trying to do it in a way where the sales team is given leads in a natural environment. So where they're already looking um, for the beginning of their day around what they need to accomplish from a sales perspective, we want to serve up marketing leads within that view to them. And then from a sales side, back to marketing, I think the sellers also need to build trust and credibility with their marketing counterparts in that when a lead is passed over to them, that the marketer um, feels confident that that seller will actually follow up on that lead. And so, um, you know, as I was saying, we've done a little bit more to handhold leads through the sales funnel longer, even to the fact of, you know, having a, a, a desk, a marketing desk, if you will, that we offer to customers if they're at an event of ours and we call them hand raisers. If they raise their hand and they say, I want, I want somebody from Microsoft to call me because I'm interested in knowing more about what I heard at this event. And so we have a marketing program um, that calls them and can answer some basic questions that the customer might have about content that they heard or a resource that they want to find more information about. And so we, you know, take it one step further before we then say, okay, you know, you are ready to now be handed off to a seller because now they're asking for very specific um, sales oriented activities. So I think building that credibility and the trust between the sales and marketing teams is very important and making sure that you guys make a handshake on what that will look like, you know, where you're handing things off in the sales cycle and that sellers will take the accountability to follow up on that sales lead is a very important piece of, of that relationship. And it's essential for both of you to be successful. Yeah, I agree. And what, what, to, so it sounds like you're doing some creative things to reach across the aisle. Um, I love the framework. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to exist in some of that framework in a, in a past life of mine. And mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, I love that. At the same time, there's companies who have some technology, some of the same technology that you're able to leverage, lead scoring, et cetera, that, that has that virtual handshake. But there's also humans involved. There's a, you know, is there a kind of a rigor or an engagement at, at the relate, like a true relationship talking with humans about how you also make that work. So there's often a lot of questions that come up and say, hey, there's all these tools and systems that allow us to communicate with air quotes, I guess, between sales and marketing. But what about real communication between your sales counterpart? And what does that sales counterpart look like? And how do you manage that relationship, if you will? Yeah, so um, there's a few things that we do in order to nurture our marketing relationships with our sales teams. 
Um, and because our sellers, just like anybody at Microsoft, get bombarded. And I, I believe your question is asking about kind of furthering the relationship internally versus with the customer. Is that correct? That, that, absolutely okay. correct. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So there's a few things that we do. So one of the things that we do is when we kick off our fiscal year, um, we have uh, sessions with our sales teams where we are explain to them what the marketing programs are going to be. We allow that dialogue to happen um, where we're sharing with them, here's what our plans are. Here's the events that we're going to support. Um, so you give them that visibility up front. And then you, we also share with them the resources that are more of self-serve resources. And there's a few kind of basic things that we have done um, along the way. Um, when it comes to events specifically, we've played around with different formats for building an event calendar that is internally facing so that sellers know what events are coming up that is local to them and their customer. And we give them the resources for them to then invite their customer to that event. And so we first started off with Outlook, where we built Outlook calendars. And within the Outlook calendar, we provided basic information and we did it by um, location. So we have districts. And so we would do it by a district, for instance, um, where we would add events to a calendar and then we would tell the seller, if you are looking for something to send your customer to, go to this calendar, check out what we have. And we would have basic information in that calendar um, hold, if you will, who the audience is, what the content level is, you know, 100, 400 level, um, a basic abstract about what the event was about. And then we embedded an OFT, an email invite OFT within that Outlook hold. And the seller then was able to use that OFT to then extend the invite to their customer. So I think um, kind of what I'm trying to explain is making it easy for the sales team to know what the marketing team is doing and doing that through things such as the meetings. And then we meet with them throughout the year, as well as things like the Outlook calendar. You know, what are some self-serve things that you can do where you just, you know, tell the sellers at their discretion or when they need it? Here are some resources that you can go to to make it easy for them and helpful for them to do their job. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Uh, Nicole, as a um, an impact people leader and obviously a difference maker in, in the marketing space, one of the reasons why we're what we reached out and we're lucky enough to have you on that the podcast today. Um, I'd love to know, and maybe to shift gears here quick, I'd love to know kind of you know one of those passion projects so obviously you're 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 very passionate and have been wildly successful um in, inside the marketing frame uh, for a number of years obviously within microsoft for uh, 12 plus years you know, what are the things outside of microsoft that that get you excited and fired up and, and and people want to know more about you so if there's anything you can share on that front that'd be great yeah sure so um i would say i do like to um give back by way of helping others be successful. And so um, because I am based in Michigan, um, I'm very thoughtful to people who are early in career, who are remote workers. And so I do a lot of mentoring. And within Microsoft, we've also started what we call a remote, a remote worker mentoring, um, where we invite other people across the country who are based outside of Redmond, if you will, to come together. And it's not just about me talking, it's about everybody on the call sharing best practices in 
how do I work from home? How do I make a, you know, good space within my um, home uh, conducive for working? How do I, you know, stay connected, find my next job opportunity if I'm not at, you know, in Redmond, if you will. Um, I do a lot of informationals. Uh, so I always look for good people to fill my bench and do a lot of um, uh, recommendations for early in career about things that um, they should try or opportunities that they should take advantage of. So I also do a lot of that stuff. And then I, I extend the event side of my job to the community. And so I am on the uh, community or sorry, communications committee for a local nonprofit called the Guidance Center. And I sponsor um, or I host an event every year called Summer Glow and the proceeds uh, go towards um, family uh, activities and programs that the Guidance Center offers into the community that I live uh, and work in. And so that's kind of a way in which I continue to take what I know best and what I have experienced in my work and extend it into other areas of my life that could benefit from that expertise. And then the other point that I'll just, um, or the other fun fact, I guess, about me is that obviously, um, I've said multiple times based in Michigan. And so we are a passionate hockey family. Um, <laughs> I have two kids. I have a son who's 12, Liam. I have a daughter who will be 10 in a week. Her name is Lottie. Um, and then my husband, Rob, we are all hockey players. So I actually just played last night with a bunch of hockey moms that we do drop in skating. And so when I'm not working, you can definitely find us as a family having fun together on the ice and playing some hockey. I love it. It definitely provides some insight into your tenacity. I'm not sure if I ever want to take a hip check from you on the ice. <laughs> well, we, it's very um, low blow. I might be faster than you, though. I may outskate you, but you're, I'm not going to run you into the boards. No, Nicole, if there's anything, I'm never going to underestimate you. So I'm certain that you probably are faster than me if, if you're hinting at that. Well, you know, Nicole, thank you so much. Um, this has been fantastic. Tons of insight for all sorts of people listening in. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, obviously, this dialogue potentially continues in other ways in the future, but uh, for your time today, thank you so much. For the listeners out there, you know, uh, obviously, uh, we'll provide this uh, out there for you to reach out to both the podcast itself, but also depending on Nicole's feedback, any outreach directly to her. In the meantime, uh, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks for joining the podcast. Event Farm is the experiential platform that gives digital marketers superpowers. Event Farm handles every aspect of your event, from invitations and guest check-in to landing pages and analytics. It lets you understand the impact of your events so you can maximize the impact of your brand. And right now, you can build out an event for free. Visit eventfarm.com to learn more and schedule a demo. Event Farm. We turn attendees into customers.